five, five, four, four, three, three, two, two. All right. Hey, hello, and welcome to this episode, One Dive at a Time. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. I am the founder and director of Neptune Warrior, where our mission is healing heroes one dive at a time. Had a chance to work with, actually contract with a local scuba shop this weekend, teaching a advanced open water. Saturday, man, it was beautiful. It was an absolute beautiful day. Um, had some overcast. wasn't uh, wasn't overly overcast, so it was just that right amount of overcast where we didn't have to worry about rain coming in. Uh, it wasn't until it really wasn't until late afternoon when we were off of the dive site for our first few dives um, that the rain kind of opened up. And man, Sunday then it was a downpour. So main concern is always lightning, and I've been able to be uh, fortunate to get have have friends that really understand weather and kind of track that stuff and may have to track it for their jobs. So I've got like a plethora of apps that I use for detecting lightning and seeing where storms are moving through, all like that. So uh, didn't have any lightning around. Lightning was not even predicted by the National Weather Service until late afternoon. So felt safe getting out to uh, Lucky Peak, which is our, our you know one of our larger reservoirs or our large reservoir in the area, where we could actually do the deep part of advanced open water. And then I always do a capstone. I think capstone dives are really important where you take everything that you've learned in that course and you bring it all together. And so, you know, we may in in my courses we may actually do six dives for advanced open water if I'm contracting with somebody. So like I contract for Boise Scuba Center, so technically our guys uh, were doing six. Uh, well, had, let me rephrase that. They had they had the opportunity to do six dives. We had a few that had some navigation issues, so we uh, they wound up having to repeat a dive, and that became their dive three on day one. And those who were able to, to nail the the navigation on you know on the first run then obviously then they you know when they did their uh their final dive the following day it was it was uh it'd be their their dive six so it, it all it all depends and you know we have to remember that it and i think as instructors we forget about this as students we don't we may not recognize it or may not have been told but you know diving is really experiential learning. It gives us opportunities to be a better diver. Confucius said, I hear and I forget. I see and I remember. I do and I understand. Ben Franklin wasn't far behind him. Well, maybe years-wise, but in philosophy-wise. He said, tell me and I forget. Teach me and I remember. Involve me and I will learn. And then John Dewey uh, who is responsible for so much of what we do in industry now said that there is an intimate and necessary relation between the process of actual experience and education. Again, John Dewey said that in 1938. One of the things that I find that I have to be very patient with 
is, you know, in, in Neptune, I think in Neptune we have a few advantages that other divers may not get when they come through a scuba center. You know, first of all, we're, we're, we're non-profit. And so we have a little more leeway with, with how we say we want divers to be prepared. And, and starting out in that open water experience. So, so, for example, I've got, you know, normally with my divers, by pool session three, pool session four, they're not still taking off mask and and passing regulators, you know, or, you know, passing regulators back and forth and doing those basics because they get that in dives one and two. Um, by dive three and definitely by dive four, we're already working on things like surge patterns. And so it's it's a little it's a little different um, in in that expectation. I have my divers uh, starting with you know starting very early in that process of just practicing taking their gear apart and putting it back on, and then they you know will we'll practice it a few more times and they do it blindfolded. You know my divers don't show up to a site putting tanks on backwards and regulators upside down or on the wrong side. I think another part of it is because we've been military-based, there's a certain standard that we're looking for, and I think our divers recognize that standard. And again, the majority of them being out of the military, have, you know, they have that ability or they have that mindset. So it, it does become, it really does become second nature for them to uh, to, to meet a standard of making sure that your regulators are, you know, that your second stages are hanging off the right side and not the left side and the tank's not pointing backwards or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever other things that, that may happen. And, and then there's also standards that we have set for the way we want equipment set up. It, it blows me away that instructors will take, I'm going to try to describe this. And I, and I think it's, I think it's lazy salesmanship. And I think it's, lazy instructing I see a lot of divers come out from other instructors and instead of putting their alternate air source the second stage for their alternate air source or you may call it an octo uh, you know or you know some people may you know I've heard people refer to it as, as, a, as a backup or, or, or a buddy octo or whatever right or a, you know a buddy rag Instead of securing that, now our divers, we secure that with a, uh, one of two ways. Uh, we either secure it, most likely, is with a necklace, and that that alternate air source is placed up in that necklace, uh, you know, around the around the neck. It's a very tech diving thing uh, for a lot of folks, but we, you know, I like it because then it's right there. If you and, and the way we the way we teach regulator recovery. Is that if the red comes out? Now the old way was that if the red comes out, you know you lean to the right and you, and you do your do your arm sweep. Something's been done for years. The way we teach it is that when your regulator pops out, the first thing you do is that you reach down around your neck and you just simply put that second stage, your alternate air source, into your mouth, and then you do the sweep. The other way is we have. Uh, we do have some some folks because of the, the way their body is built that that doesn't work out real well, and so we will attach or have them attach a regulator holder 
up on the D-ring of their backplate and wing or in the cases where they've got a BCD on, on, on a BCD, BCD. Remember, again, we're, you know, we've shifted over to where we teach backplate and wing from the very beginning, right out of the gate. What I find is that there are students that come usually out of a certain instructor in the, in the area. Maybe, maybe one or two or, or, or a certain dive shop around the area. And what they do is instead of selling them a necklace, which, by the way, would be a sale, okay? Got to, my, my mentor, Jim Larson, always says you have, to, you have to sell a lot of snorkels to make it in the dive industry, right? Well, this is a, you know, not quite as, a, as expensive as a snorkel, but at least you've got a pretty good, you've got a pretty good margin on it. Instead of selling a necklace or even... I don't know, even at the low end, you know, a, a, the old style snorkel keeper, you know, the figure eight looking snorkel keeper where you can just place that, you know, place that uh, regulator in there and it's on the chest. Instead of doing that, what they do is they, is they, they, they put a bite in the air hose line and shove it up into the D ring on, on the student's right hand side or the diver's right hand side. The problem with that is if you run into an out of air situation or if, I'm sorry, not if you run out of an out of air situation, if your buddy or somebody else on the dive is coming up to you and they are legitimately out of air or they're in a panic state, they're going to, they're going to try to grab the first thing they see. And a lot of us have been taught and I've seen this firsthand. The thing that they see that is breathing or that is working is what's in your mouth because there's bubbles coming out of it. And so they reach for that. Then because they've been taught to either grab your arm or in some cases grab the BCD, they revert back to that training and they grab the divers BCD on the right hand side, the same exact place where that regulator is sitting. And I've seen this happen in a real world environment that when the person who is out of air, or low on air, reached and grabbed the BCD. They put their hand through that loop above the D-ring. So when the diver that was the voluntold, <laughs> was the voluntold donator of this tries to grab that alternate air source, it is trapped by the wrist because it won't go past the wrist and then through the D-ring. And it's it's like it's it's the dumbest setup I've ever seen, and it's like another and because I've seen it firsthand, it's another accident waiting to happen. So, all my divers are actually taught that of of why you don't do that, and and they get to see firsthand, they get to experience what happens should they do that. And I've never seen one of my divers ever set it up like that. In fact, I've had them come up to me on a dive site and go, "Hey, you know my you know my necklace broke or." You know, I left it in another bag. Do you have something I can bother? Or I, I have something I can borrow. And I'll ask them, well, why don't you just shove up in the D-ring? They're like, no way, dude. <laughs> so, so they know of, of what can happen with that. And, and, you know, and this is, you know, this is an experience. You know, it's, it's things that you can take and, and, move it, and move it forward. So when we think about learning being experiential, we, you know, we have to remember this as both instructors we have to remember to students even as as instructors we need to find a time that we continue to grow there is no better there's no better experience than doing training i mean it's it's the cheapest way you can gain experience and
and and really broaden your horizons. Right now, what I'm doing is is I'm venturing into the world of side mount. Now I've done diving with stage tanks and things like that. As a matter of fact, on on our open water dive, on our deep dive, because the way the teams were coming down, we had black, murky water. It was cold. Uh, folks were in seven mils, hoods, gloves, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I was running teams down, I was staging teams down in in twos, and what I had them doing doing was following a line down, following following my finger reel down. I actually had three finger reels connected down to the spot where I'd be waiting for them, check in with them. And the intent was to do was to do some experiments around color and things like that. Unfortunately, it was it was already dark and the I want I want to be I want to be a little kind to um a little kind to our to our, our new open water graduates. There were some that buoyancy was not something that had been really trained in in their open water classes. Again, none none of these folks have been my prior students. So um, buoyancy was not something that, that had really been instilled. And it, and I had one diver at one point was actually just kind of crawling along the bottom that that we had we had to address that. So when they come down, it's just it's like a murk storm. So you know, so they they got you know they got that that kind of a, of an experience. Well, in order to do that, I had to take a stage tank with me because I was going sit, to be sitting down there in my dry suit, and didn't want to run into a situation where I ran short on air and I couldn't do, you know, you know I I could not safely ascend. So having another eighty with me that I that I was breathing off of while I was kind of hanging out waiting for these guys. Was, was one of the things I chose to do. But as far as experience, I've never done dual side mount. And so I'm working with a couple of mentors right now uh, with eventually I am going to go get trained, but I'm working with two very competent mentors who have been through training and have been showing me the ropes. I've done a lot, I've done a lot of pool practice. As a matter of fact, I haven't done anything in the open water. Everything's been in the pool uh, you know, at this point probably about eight or 10 hours right now on dual side mount. I don't feel comfortable heading out to the open water environment just yet. And it's, it's a way to, to gain experience. And every dive that we do, every dive we do, we should be looking for ways to make ourselves better divers for the next time. And so we have to remember that diving is experiential learning. And as someone who, who is a instructor, I don't really consider myself as an instructor. I consider myself more as a facilitator and a coach. Yes, I can certify people. Yes, I can teach people. Yes, I can instruct people. But my job, especially after open water, we start moving into rescue and master scuba diver and and dive master and all these. I'm really more of a coach, a mentor, a facilitator. When we look for those experiential education opportunities, it's different than just instructing. Our roles as instructors change. The way we conduct our course changes. Now they still have to meet standards, but it's taking that learning and it's having a better understanding of that course material. It's giving them a broader view. You know, so here's an example. They get a broader view of the world that they live in and appreciation for the community. A great example. When we were out at Quinn's, 
I told the divers, there's a lot of stuff out here that swimmers lose. Even divers lose. And so when you find opportunities to, to see sunglasses or you see an iPhone or a GoPro or anything else like that of value, yes, grab it, put it in your bag. But also at the same time, make sure that you're grabbing beer bottles and soda cans and everything else that you see out there. So when they come back up with that, it's an opportunity to debrief that and talk about the crap that's in our waters. And then also provide an opportunity of, hey, by the way, on June 18th, we're doing a cleanup dive out in Marsing. Something has never been done on that body of water. And then working with them to say, hey, what other areas, what are, what are some other things as divers we should be doing to make sure that, you know, that, that bodies of water are, at least from our end, are, are kept clean. And interesting enough, one of our divers, so we, we had, we'd had that, we processed that experience, and one of our divers the next day had left trash behind at the dive site when they had opened up their, their, uh, you know, their finger reel and their dive slate for their second series of dives or for their second day of dives, and they left the trash down on the dive site. So one of my divers picks it up and he's like, hey, man, this would look bad on us as divers. Boom. They've learned. They've taken those little lessons of picking up sunglasses and Coke bottles and turned it into a real-world experience, and they applied it. And that's what we went in experiential learning. So again, starting a list over again, a better understanding of the course material, a broader view of, that, of their world. It also gives them an insight into their own skills. It gives them an insight into their interest, and that's why I love open water. Man, you can, you can have someone start to explore what really interests them in diving what their passion is, and, and, and what they value. It also allows them opportunities to collaborate with other organizations. So even, and I don't poach students. So that's one thing I definitely don't do. If somebody comes through uh, another dive center that I've contracted with, and then they come back to me and, and say, hey, you know, I, I heard that you're doing a backplate class, or I heard that you're doing, uh, you know, a metal detecting class or something like that, you know, I make sure that even if, if even if it's something that that dive center doesn't teach, I go back to that dive center and say, hey, by the way, you've got students that are wanting to get into a rescue class. Are you running a rescue class? And if they're, you know, they say, no, we're not. Then do you have a problem if some of your students come over to me? I've got one dive center that absolutely has a problem with it. I've got another dive center that's like, you know, kick back over X number of dollars per diver and we're good. So I'm very careful about that. But they do have opportunities to collaborate and volunteer with Neptune Warrior, especially if they're veterans. And I've got a lot of veterans, and I have to turn them down. It's like, hey, man, we really like to take your master scuba diver class. Okay, well, you need to go talk to person X and make sure that that's cool. And then let me know when you do that because I'm going to check in because I've gotten burned like that before. I'm going to check in and make sure that it's, that it's cool with them as well. It gives them uh, that gratification of being able to assist in community needs. Again, we've got this cleanup dive coming over in Marsing. We've got veterans who, who need help out on a dive site. You know, getting you know, getting into the water, getting out of the water, helping you know, you know, just helping here here and there, and it gives that self confidence as well as leadership skills. So the you know. The, when we think about just what experiential learning is, 
it the the way that I focus my experiential learning, and, and by the way, I, I don't know if I've shared this on a podcast, but I come from a background of ropes courses, high ropes, low ropes, doing experiential training, that kind of stuff. When I taught survival, it was all it was all experiential. And not only do I, with my diving, not only is it to make a better diver, but it's also to make a better person in our in our vets. That's why we do a lot of cro- you know crossing over and understanding, hey, how does this apply to real life? But experiential learning happens when there are carefully chosen experiences that we support through by reflecting on it, by doing a critical analysis of how something went, and then synthesizing that into what it looks like in the future. And throughout that process, throughout throughout that entire learning process, we have to ensure that the student is engaged, and I mean actively engaged in posing questions, experimenting, being curious, investigating, solving problems, taking responsibility for what they did well, what they didn't do so well, being creative, and finding a way to to create meaning out of it. So after open water, or I'm sorry, advanced open water yesterday, I had to run over to the Y where I had to open that up because I'm working with one of our public safety divers. And even though I don't teach public safety diving, what I do is I give that diver every single possible tool to be a leader when they go off to a public safety diving course to be the absolute best diver that they can be. You know, I want, I want my students to be rock stars. And I've, and I've had a history of being able to do that Back when I was in the military, getting guys prepped up for for dive school and things like that, I mean, they went there with all the skills that they needed to be comfortable. Didn't mean they weren't stressed, but but they were, but they were, they were a lot more prepared than than what some of their counterparts were. We also want to make sure that we are nurturing those relationships of the student to themselves the student to others, and then, again, the student to everything at large, the world at, the world at large. All that should come through experiential training. Oh, I actually digress because I, but I, because I was talking about the public safety diving. So yesterday, I, I run over to the, to the YMCA. I meet up with, with our sheriff's deputy who's going to be running his dive team. And a couple of the problems that he has to solve, again, this is, I mean, he's, you know, he's like pool session four, pool session five, something like that. What he has to do today is he has to be able to put on a t-shirt underwater, which means removing the back plate and wing, removing his mask, putting the t-shirt on, putting his mask back on, and putting the, the back plate and wing back on. So this comes the pool session after he's done repeated ditch and dons, ditch surface, take a breath, re-enter the water or dive down and put everything back on, 13 feet of water. Okay, so there's a lot of lot of rigorous training there, you know, taking off all your gear, surfacing, going back down, all that kind of stuff, right? So now he has to do the t-shirt drill and it's one of the ways that we give away t-shirts. It's one of the ways I give away cool, cool dive shirts. You can get the dive, t- you can get the dive shirt. Oh, but by the way, you have to put it on under, underwater. 
And it's just kind of a cool tradition that we have. The important thing is, was I harassing that student? Was I just having them do something that was mindless or meaningless? No. There is a process. There, there's a way to process that experience. And it's the, the what, so what, now what? So I asked Jason, my diver, so what do we do? <laughs> He's like, dude, you gave me a t-shirt. All right, that's great. What else do we do? Well, I had to pull off the BCD, uh, take off the mask, put the t-shirt on, and then I found out, I figured out that I was putting the t-shirt on backwards. And so, because I felt the tag, then I had to pull it back off and uh, and put it back on. All right, so so tell me about everything that happened. And then he would talk about that, well, I was, I was holding, you know, momentarily holding my breath as I was trying to get the t-shirt on, which caused me to start rising to the surface because my divers are not overweighted. I started rising towards the surface. I could feel that happening. And so I had, I remember to exhale. So I would drop back down to the bottom, put the t-shirt on correctly, take the regulator out of my mouth, all that kind of stuff, right? So he's talking about the, the actual what happened. So instead of giving him the answer of, of why I do that drill, I just asked him, so what's next? I mean, how do you take this and apply it to the real world? He said, well, if I ever get, if I ever get tangled up, I may have to take my gear off. I may lose my mask in that process, and I need to be able to, to, to calm down and focus on the task. That's how you process that experience. Is that what, so what, now what? The same thing happened when he drops down to... Uh, when he drops down to 500 pounds of, of air in his tank, because I'm using short little uh, pool tanks, I'm using uh, you know 50s and, and 63s. Obviously, doing those kind of drills, you're going to blow through a lot of air. Then that tank's going to run dry. So the way that we swap out tanks is I have another tank down there with another set of regs, and he has to pull it off the back plate, work it you know work it through the back plate, uh, put the other reg in his mouth, and then. And then place the other tank in there, get it, get it tight, and put it back on. And again, same thing. So why do we do that? Well, and he said, you know, well, I, I, I doubt that I ever do a tank swap like that. But you're, you know, what I, what I now know is just calm down and, and solve the problem. So that, that's, a, that's how experiential learning works. The, the, when you're doing this as, as the facilitator or the instructor, you and the student together may experience success. You can experience failure. And both of those are valuable to processing that experience. We, learn, we can learn a lot from our mistakes. It gives us an opportunity for adventure, a little bit of risk-taking. We'll talk about risk-taking and risk and, and, and other topics associated with risk-taking in another, another episode. But there is confidence that's gained out of that risk-taking because there's an uncertainty that, that comes with it. We don't, we don't have predictable outcomes. You know, one of the things I talked to Jason about is that scuba training is the only environment that we don't do simulation in. You know, if you look at your SWAT teams, and, you know, he's, he's had background with, with fire and rescue. Uh, you know, so fire rescue, you know, they go, they go into a, a burn building where fires are set and there's evaluators and, and everything else. Okay. That's, 
you know, it's a simulated situation. There's there's some controls that are put within that. Uh, you can do SWAT training where you're firing sim rounds or paintballs or, or whatever it is, right? Those are simulated. The diving experience, even in the pool, can have life and death consequences to it. So it's, you know, when you go talk about funding for for a police diver program, you know, that's one of the things to talk about is that, you know, hey, we don't really simulate stuff. I mean, it it's real world down there. I mean, you're, you're taking care of problems underwater in an underwater environment, even though it's a pool. Other, other parts of, of experiential learning is it gives us a chance to nurture different opportunities to explore and examine your own values. Even as an instructor, I learn new values as I'm, as I'm exploring this with my, with my students. So my role as the instructor or coach or facilitator is to have a suitable setting of, uh, of experiences to pose problems, to set some boundaries, to set some guidelines, to support the students, provide feedback, make sure that there is emotional safety so that people can speak up in a group, that there uh, is the, to a degree that there are physical, you know, physical safety that is set up, and then to facilitate that learning process. You know, I'm supposed to, you know, my role is to recognize and encourage different spontaneous opportunities of learning. We may be doing a search recovery dive or we may be doing uh, a line search and there may arise an opportunity to teach out of that as we're processing that, that experience. At the same time, I have to be very careful of my own biases, my own judgments, my own preconceptions, because I can also learn from those students. So when we're experiencing, and we could even use the word exploring, this is the doing phase. This is that hands-on experience. It takes them out of the book. They get little or no help from me as the instructor. So for example, when I, when I teach navigation, again, I've got students that show up that can't, <laughs> it feels like that they can't tell me what the four cardinal directions are. And I, in some cases, I have to reteach navigation. I've got advanced open water students that I have to reteach navigation, which is something that they should be picking up from their instructor when they do their when they do their open water. So I put them into a field, and after I teach reteach the basics of of the compass and navigation, I put them into an open field, and they navigate their way from tree to tree, looking down at the compass. And they will do squares, and they do triangles, and they, you know, they'll do uh, reciprocal headings, all that kind of stuff, right? And I practice it out on a, a grassy field. I do the same way with different types of searches, whether we're doing a jackline search, semicircle search, have them use the compass, mow the grass type search. All right, so we do that, and then I put them in the water, and then they get to explore. They get to they get to the doing phase, and some are do great, and some have to repeat a dive. Okay, but it, but the, that processing is always the same. You know, so what did we do? You know, what happened on it? And how do we move forward? The what, so what, now what? Why, why is it important going forward? So as the instructor, I have to be less centric as the instructor, less instructor-centric. 
I have to find ways to approach each learning experience in a positive and a, a non-dominating way. And as dive instructors, a lot of times, at least old school dive instructors, I remember, we're always kind of dominant in that in that area. And I have to find ways that students will find that experience interesting and find a way to be personally committed to it. Because if they're not engaged, they're not, they're not going to learn with it. Find ways that I can provide relevant meaning resources afterwards. So I do a lot of videos that, that will emphasize that. But, you know, as I start moving up to like master scuba diver and dive master, they have to do some teachbacks. You know, it's, it's important that, that they can, that they can show how, you know, show, show what their learning was. And for my students, I need them to be involved. I need them to be engaged in problems that are practical and that in some cases may be personal to them. I need them to understand that they're allowed the freedom to ask questions and find ways that they can continue the learning process. I need them to be involved in difficult and challenging situations while discovering. So I try to provide a lot of different experiences. So you know, even 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 for, for my open water divers, hey, come on out and help me fill tanks. It's kind of like that apprenticeship experience. Help me fill tanks, help me sort gear. Help, you know, uh, with my advanced students, it's it's maybe it's a little more little different types of experiences, uh, but I always try to find different types of, of of apprentice experiences, apprenticeship experiences for my dive masters and master scuba divers. Hey, let's go check on the pool. All right, let's fix the plumbing problem on the pool. Let's build a changing room. Whatever it happens to be, right? Finding some of those different experiences, and that actually kind of goes into. Uh, you know the, the volunteering aspect of taking the experiences that they've learned and carrying that that over, finding ways that they can do field work. So my master scuba divers have to go out and apply the things that they've been doing. My underwater naturalist students have to go out and and apply what they've learned into the field. I do student teaching experiences where my master scuba divers have to teach something back. My dive masters obviously have to do that. Volunteer experiences, whether it's with Neptune or someone else, I prefer it's with Neptune, but whether it's with Neptune or someone else, take what you've learned in diving and carry it somewhere else and, and do that. The other thing is, is having a feedback model because there's a time where what, so what, now what doesn't always work and you have to provide guidance. And so I'm going to wrap with this. The... The feedback model I use was something I was taught in the military, and I modified it just a little bit. But if you remember the, I think it's an anagram, where you use words to remember things. If you remember the anagram, people often interrupt people, so stop flapping. So people is the P, O is the often. Okay, so we're just going to go like that, right? So people often interrupt people, so stop flapping. So it looks like this. It, it starts out with purpose. Here's why I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about your navigation dive. O is observe. What I observed was 
that instead of doing a square pattern, or as you were doing your square pattern, you and your buddy got separated. And it looked like both of you were trying to run the, the navigation course, both of you using a compass. And what happens when you do that is that you're now paying more attention to your compass instead of your buddy and you got separated. And now you pause. You wait. You wait for them to say, well, I thought I was navigating. Well, I thought we were supposed to both navigate. I forgot that one person navigates. Whatever it happens to be. A lot of times uh, participants will, will use excuses. Well, I... I didn't see them, and so I was, I was swimming around tr trying to find them. All right, so people often interrupt. That's your purpose, observation, impact. P is pause. And as a facilitator, I have to wait for them to come back. Now, with divers, it comes back pretty quick. There's not a lot of room for silence. It comes back pretty quick. So people often interrupt people. Often interrupt people. So purpose, observation impact pause and the last part so stop flapping so this is where you offer suggestions and in the experiential environment it's more what can we do better what should we do different you're asking questions you're asking open-ended questions not closed-ended questions like hey did you screw up or hey why don't you follow you know why don't you navigate why don't you follow you offer that opportunity for them to learn so what can we do different next time so that's how you get suggestions. And as the facilitator, I always have to kind of things, hold things in my back pocket because I may get something that's way out there or just incorrect. And so I had to be able to, to ask the question, well, what if diver A was to navigate? Diver B, why don't you lightly place your hand on the back of their tank? Why don't we, or what would you think of if we used a buddy line since the conditions are so murky? So you're offering suggestions or looking for them to provide suggestions. If you don't, if you don't get those, then you have to provide them out there. Now you offer the support, and that's really where your power as a facilitator comes through. Is you're, that you're offering that support. All right, hey guys, go out there and hit it again. Make sure you remember the things that we talked about, the things that you said that you were going to do differently, and let's go knock out this next dive. And then the F is follow up, making sure that they do exactly what they said that they're going to do or at least close to it right and, and learn from it that's the follow-up so people often interrupt people so stop flapping purpose observation impact pause suggestion support follow-up and when i use that i mean more often than not i get the results and the student is getting the results that they're looking for Keep in mind that every, every experience or every time that you hit the water is a chance to learn new things about becoming a better diver, becoming a better person, and becoming a better ambassador for the dive community. And some of the best ways to gain that experience is taking a class, taking a workshop. I've got divers right now, they're going to they're gonna come take a backplate class because it gives them more opportunities to, to get experience they're going to get gear out of it, and it just helps them become better divers. Don't forget, we've got a lot of different opportunities coming up for experience. We've got the Marsing Dive on the 18th. This next Thursday is our first 
open water dive at a lucky peak our thursday night dives we're gonna do dive master briefing at 6 30 i'm sorry yeah we meet at 6 30 get your gear together dive master briefing at 6 45 and splash right after that and then uh, that those dives will continue throughout uh, thursdays in the, in the in the summer weather weather depending right we got some UDCs coming up. Don't forget, we also have uh, dives on Friday nights and on Sundays. And always remember that you can call in, be part of the show. Always love to hear that. Matter of fact, if my open water divers are are out there right now, guys, I would love it if you could call and get, provide me some feedback on the workshop. Because you know, I'm I'm not immune to to getting feedback, and and always appreciate that. So go out there, go make a difference and make a difference in yourself. Go, go get those, go get those opportunities. I would love to hear about the, the things that you're doing. So, uh, by the way, the, the number is 208-254-0436 and you can leave a voicemail on that. Go out there, go get some diving done, get some experience. Summer's here. Idaho diving's opening up. And remember, as long as you've got air, you're all right.